0: Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired.
1: We love God, we ought to be
2: able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day.
0: With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's
2: fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. And
3: welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Friday, December 8th, 2023. The feasts... Of Saints Eucharius and Romeric. You thought I was going to say the Immaculate Conception, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll get to that. The feast of Saints Eucharius and Romeric. Have you heard of these two saints? My guess is you have not because I just learned about them today. Saint Eucharius was the first bishop of Trier in the third century. Legend has it that Saint Eucharius was sent by Saint peter himself and he preached the gospel in gaul he along with his companions valerius and maternus converted gentiles along the rhine and ausk performing miracles including raising the dead that's pretty impressive saint eucharius received saint peter's pastoral staff and it became a missionary symbol the staff that was touched to deceased maternus brought him back to life after 40 days in the grave. Now, the trio, after converting many, settled in Trier, where Eucarius served as bishop. An angel predicted his death, and Valerius succeeded him. Eucarius, after 25 years of bishop, died on December 8th with his staff, and thus St. Peter's staff, became revered as a relic. Now, then there's St. Romeric, who was a nobleman. And he was converted by Saint Amatus of Remorant. Together, they founded a monastery there at the estate that he enfranchised his serfs. Now, the family there faced hostility from Queen Brunhilda, which led to him becoming homeless. Now, later with the fall of the queen, his land was eventually restored. And from thenceforward, he began a journey as a missionary. See, he, along with his companions, were leading him to abandon a life of wealth and luxury and embraced monastic life. Now, it's very interesting to see these two people living around the same time period, but the idea of one being a bishop, one being a bishop and leading people to convert, and the other living a wealthy and luxurious life, abandoning it for a quiet life of prayer and solitude, a monastic life. See, St. Romeric directed several families to embrace religious life. Among the the people, there were many which were popular at the time. I would mention the names, but they're not popular anymore. Nobody knows who they are anymore. And so in 625, St. Romeric actually became the abbot and governed for thirty years, now this of course, was to his sadness because he wanted to live a nice, quiet life of solitude. but as Abbot, he had to engage again in political challenges, and he had to deal with the king and the prince from the uh, who was the king of the uh, Austrian throne. Now, these two saints are two people that i 'm guessing most people have not heard of, so what do we ask from these two? Unique saints. Well, let's ask that we have a dual spirit of monasticism and missionary activity, that we take time to retreat into ourselves, and especially during this Advent season, but also to go out into the world and share the fruits of our contemplation. Saint Eucharius and Romeric, pray right, for right. us. Uh, joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Adrian. It is so nice to have a day off today. Amen. Or are we? Are we off today? We are off today. That's today right. Today is, is the feast of the Immaculate Conception. So because of that, we, it's a holy day of obligation. So make it to holy mass today. Make it to holy mass today. And also guess what's on the menu, boys? Mm. Steak. Meat. Barbecue. Taste of Texas. Ooh, that's a good idea. Taste of Texas. Yeah. You know, my, uh, at the parish, they're actually doing a barbecue on this Friday. Really? Yeah. You can, you can just go and have yeah. a barbecue? Uh-huh. Wow, that's so cool. So after, after mass, they're throwing a barbecue. So I'm really excited for that. I'm definitely going to scarf down some barbecue. And yeah. I'm really excited for it. Uh What are you going to eat on this meat Friday? A rare circumstance, I'd be very curious. You should watch our social media feeds. I'd be very grateful if you would join us in that and have a discussion with us. It would be a great time. So just hop on our social media feeds and leave a comment. What are you doing to celebrate the Feast of Immaculate Conception? It'll be a wonderful thing to talk about with you. Now, one other thing before we get started is keep in mind, today, because of the Feast of Immaculate Conception, I have an awesome interview. With Father Elias Mary. You're going to love this interview. All about the Immaculate Conception. Things I guarantee you've never heard before. Because I learned brand new things. During this interview. So you're going to love this interview. I guarantee it. Um, If you don't, don't let me know. okay? And coming up in the next hour. I have a story. About Our Lady of Guadalupe. Her feast day is coming up this upcoming Sunday. The feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I have a story that... Very few people know about Our Lady of Guadalupe and a ship that was almost sunk but was saved by Our Lady. I'll share that story with you in the next hour. So you're going to want to tune in for every moment of the show. And if you miss a second of it, don't worry. Hop on our social media feeds and you will be able to watch the whole thing there. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions. We're going to be praying for the salvation of souls and liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. We pray in a special way for my grandfather, that he be miraculously healed, for my friend's uh, newly born son, Nicholas, who's four months preemie. And we pray in reparation for sins and outrages against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. O Divine Infant Jesus, I have recourse to Thee, please, through Thy Blessed Mother, assist me in this necessity, because I firmly believe that Thy divinity can help me. I hope with confidence to obtain Thy holy grace. I love Thee with all my heart and with all the strength of my soul. I repent sincerely of my sins, and I beg Thee, O good Jesus, to grant me the strength to triumph over them. I resolve nevermore to offend Thee, and I come to offer myself to Thee with the intention of enduring everything rather than to displease thee. Henceforth, I desire to serve thee with fidelity, and for the love of thee, O divine infant, I will love my neighbor as myself. All-powerful infant, I, O Jesus, I implore thee again, assist me in this need, grant me the grace of possessing thee eternally with Mary and Joseph, and of adoring thee with the angels in the heavenly court. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Rudy Carlos.
4: Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are your breaking news and headlines today. Here's a piece of uh, breaking news. Uh, Bishop Strickland is barred from saying Mass in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. LifeSide News has learned that Bishop Joseph Strickland has been barred from saying Mass in the Diocese of Tyler, At a recent staff meeting, employees were reportedly informed that while Bishop Strickland cannot offer Mass in the diocese, he may do so somewhere else. The source is known to LifeSite News. So clearly this is a developing story. LifeSite also has learned that Bishop Strickland is currently on retreat at an undisclosed location. It's not known if he's been made aware of the decision yet. And I'm going to pull some more stories here from Catholic Vote. Make sure to join their loop email blast Uh, you can get the news in the morning as well Uh, mccarthy is to resign from the house seat former house speaker kevin mccarthy from california announced wednesday that he will leave congress at the end of the year after mccarthy's resignation and due to the ouster last week of representative george santos and the resignation of another congressman house republicans will temporarily face a razor-thin majority of 219 to 212 only a four-seat advantage over the opposition. And social issues and war dominate fourth GOP debate. At the fourth and likely the final GOP primary debate on Wednesday night, Vivek Ramaswamy blasted Nikki Haley and Chris Christie's neocon foreign policy. And Rhonda Santos uh, confronted Haley's opposition to protecting children from being subjected to trans procedures. Texas and news outlets are suing the administration, the Biden administration, over censorship. The Federalist and The Daily Wire have joined forces with the state of Texas to sue the Biden administration over what they claim to be a mechanism to censor criticism of the president. The plaintiffs hold that the State Department's uh, Global Engagement Center is actively intervening in the news media market to render disfavored press outlets unprofitable. And Trump, believe it or not, is dominating in polls. Former President Donald Trump enjoys a commanding lead in the polls over his opponents for the Republican nomination just weeks before the Iowa caucuses are set to take place. According to 538, Trump is also leading President Joe Biden in theoretical general election matchups in several battleground states. And finally, abortion is not the winning issue for Dems. The Washington Post published an op-ed this week that used survey data and voting trend observations to argue abortion is not the silver bullet that Democrats need in 2024. Many pro choice voters are still quite willing to vote for Republican candidates, wrote uh, the author of the op ed. And those are all of your breaking news and headlines today. May God bless all of your holy efforts. Please keep us in your prayers. And uh, thank you for listening to Catholic Drive Time. Back to you, Adrian.
3: The gospel of the day comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Now, this is the whenever our the angel Gabriel appeared to the Blessed Virgin announcing the birth of our Lord. Now, Cornelius Salopides' commentary, I cannot recommend highly enough to go look it up and read it yourself because it is an hour-long read today. So we're not going to talk about all of it, clearly. We're only going to talk about the last verse here, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, Cornelius Lapide talking about this had, as you can imagine, had much to say. He said the angel stood and was silent, eagerly expecting the answer and consent of the virgin. Which St. Bernard says that Adam and all the patriarchs and prophets being anxious concerning the coming of the Messiah and the salvation of men were waiting for this consent. And he adds, quote, the whole world prostrate at thy knees is waiting for this. And rightly, since on thy words depend the consolation of the miserable, the redemption of the captives, the liberation of the damned, the salvation, and in short of all the sons of Adam, make answer, O virgin, speedily speak the word, which earth, which the dwellers below and the dwellers on high are waiting for. The king and Lord of all things himself desires thine assent by which his purpose is to save the world. Wow. What a beautiful thing there. Now going on, Cornelius Lapidate continues and says, okay, so when was it that our lady actually conceived the child Jesus? At what moment? He presents three theories. He said, some have believed that the angel came to the blessed virgin and the incarnation happened before the angel showed up, which is why he says, The Lord is with thee. Now he says a second opinion is that Christ became incarnate when the angel saluted her and said, Hell, thou art full of grace. And at that moment, she was she conceived of our Lord. Others appear to think that he became incarnate when the angel said, The Lord is with thee. At the moment he said that. Now, Cornelius Lapide says, He believes that these three common opinions are incorrect. He says the angel after the hell adds behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Therefore she had not yet conceived. And again the blessed virgin giving her assent to the angel says be it unto me according to thy word. Therefore it has not yet taken place. He says therefore that it was when the word was incarnate as soon as the blessed virgin gave her assent to the angel. It was at that moment When the word became flesh, when the word became a zygote, think about it. Our Lord, the God of the universe was a zygote, was a fetus. Think about that next time somebody tries to say, oh, it's just a fetus. It's just a zygote. Was that, was that our Lord? Was our Lord just that? Oh no, he was so much more. And we should give thanks to the blessed virgin for granting us the grace of so great, so wonderful. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time right after this.
5: Hope. The Catholic Encyclopedia has much to say about hope. Going online to newadvent.org, we see hope explained as the desire and expectation of future good. Each of us prays and looks to the situations and events of our lives with a desire and expectation that something good awaits us. We pray for the ultimate good, a close and intimate relationship with God. During Advent, we also look to the prophecy candle of hope. The prophet Isaiah foretold of the coming of Jesus. As Christians, we must stay firm in our expectation of goodness, For our salvation lies in seeing goodness in people and focusing on our relationship with God. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is now. Like a guiding star in the night, hope is born as we turn our desires and expectations to God. This has been a bit of Catholic encouragement from Michael Gisande.
2: There will come a day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org.
3: Welcome to Catholic Conversations, this is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and today we have a great interview for you today with Father Elias Mary with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. I'm not going to waste too much of your time, I just want to set up the interview real quickly. This is actually an interview for the Catholic Drive Time show on the Guadalupe Radio Network, so that's why the scenery looks different if you're watching on YouTube, and that's why the sound sounds different if you're listening on podcast only. And this interview might air some other time on the radio, but it just couldn't get aired for tomorrow, so I decided to use it uh, before it's out of date. Because this is all about the Immaculate Conception. I was mind blown by this interview; absolutely mind blown. Things I had never heard before. This interview will, if this doesn't stir your heart to for love for the Immaculate Conception, then I have no idea what will. All right. Uh, oh, and last thing, because I didn't put this at the end of the interview, we ended with Father's blessing, and I didn't want to add anything to it. So, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns—soapboxes, negativities, or positivities, or anything in between. Email me at FonsecaProduction at gmail.com. That's FonsecaProduction at gmail.com. Or comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. That's honestly the fastest way to get a hold of me is comment on YouTube. And I respond pretty quickly there. Emails, uh, they kind of get lost. I get so much emails that are mostly junk. So, I mean, most people don't even email me. I just get junk mail. So, I mean... That's what, just what it is. Anyway, we're going to throw you into the, I'm going to throw you into the interview with Father Elias Mary on the Immaculate Conception right now. God bless you. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Joining me right now is Father Elias Mary with the American delegation for the Franciscans of the Immaculate. Good morning to you, Father. Good morning to you too. Uh, today we, we wanted to, uh, we're talking about the celebration of the friend of the Immaculate Conception, which is happening this week. And, you know, it's a special celebration, especially in America being the patroness of America. And, uh, in me being in Houston, she's also the patroness of our diocese. So praise be to God for that. Uh, Father, uh, your, your community is the Franciscans of the Immaculate. So I could imagine that the Immaculate Conception is very dear to your heart.
6: Yes, it is. And we follow, of course. The spirituality of St. Maximilian Mary Colby, who as a conventional Franciscan and studying his own Franciscan roots came up with the charism that uh, this notion of being consecrated to the Immaculata, it wasn't something that he got from uh, St. Louis de Montfort. He never read even St. Louis de Montfort, didn't even know about St. Louis de Montfort's true devotion. Till after he'd already established his Volitia Maculata in really? 1917. So he was just meditating on his Franciscan vocation and he understood the importance of being consecrated to Our Lady, but particularly under her Immaculate Conception, because it's the Immaculate Conception where Our Lady's mission is, just is unfolded. And of course, that mission is already told in Genesis 3.15. When God brought all the the you might say participants in the original sin together, Adam and Eve and the serpent, and he said to the serpent, On your belly shall you crawl, and dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between thee and the one between her seed and yours, you shall strike at her heel and she shall crush your head. So Saint Maximin Colby said that that was Our Lady's vocation, was to crush the head of the serpent. And he wanted to be involved in that mission. He said that if, and that's another thing that he witnessed in 1917 and that inspired him to want to consecrate himself to Our Lady, was he witnessed this demonstration, you might say, or a display of anti-Catholicism by Freemasons in the, in Vatican Square. Excuse me. He witnessed in Vatican Square a procession of the Freemasons, as 1917 was the anniversary of the founding of the first Masonic lodge in London, England, and they were celebrating their 200th anniversary. And there are pictures of their procession, and it was a long one. It went all the way down via Conciliazione, and there were about four abreast, and you couldn't see the end of the line. And they had a, 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 you might say a stuffed effigy of the pope oh, wow. being s- stood upon or stomped on by the devil, and it said that the devil will reign in the Vatican, the pope will be the slave of the devil, and uh, which pope St. was Benjamin this? Colby said, he said, well, if, if someone can be the possession of the devil and doing evil like the Freemasons. Then surely someone can be the possession of Our Lady and help her and bring about the reign of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So that's what inspired him to come up with his Militia maculate the, um, the, the Knights of the Immaculata, his militant, uh, branch of, um, lay people and religious consecrated to Our Lady. So that's where he gets the devotion to the Immaculate Conception. It was always part of the Franciscan charism, he said, St. Maximin Colby, to promote the cause of Mary Immaculate from the time of St. Francis until it was finally proclaimed a dogma in 1854. <coughs> Many don't know that the Franciscans, of course, were champions of the Immaculate Conception. Even in Spain during the 15th century, they were taking blood oaths to defend the Immaculate Conception, even to the point of shedding their blood. And, um, and of course, those Franciscans from Spain brought devotion to Our Lady's Immaculate Conception over here to our new world. You know, when you talked about patroness of United States, you know, tomorrow is the... Or Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Many people don't realize that the Immaculate Conception has been kind of like this unspoken, um, thread, you might say, or kind of like this, I don't want to say ghost, but it's been a spirit that has been, it's the spirit of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception has been really pervading and guiding our, our country. Um, one of the first, of course, um, feast when Our Lady appeared as Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico in 1531, she appeared on December 9th, which was in that time the feast day of the Immaculate Conception in the Spanish Kingdom, not December 8th, but December 9th. So Our Lady appeared to St. Juan Diego on the, her, her feast day of her Immaculate Conception. And of course, when she gave that image, On his tilma, she gave it to a bishop who was a Franciscan who has been so ingrained in him, in his formation, especially if he read anything of St. Anthony of Padua, who said that Our Lady stands on the horned moon, and the horned moon is a symbol of the devil because it is changing, and Our Lady is a full moon because it's perfect and without spot, that he would see that image of Our Lady standing on that horned moon and understand it to be the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon on her feet, to be the Immaculate Conception. So that um, Bishop Juan Zumaraga was able to recognize in his own symbolism that he knew from his Franciscan background, the same things and the importance of that image that Juan Diego, being an Indian, could recognize and also understand the gospel. It was amazing how Our Lady... Spoke the gospel and preached the gospel to two different cultures, and both of them came up with the same, same message. Wow. You know, only Our Lady could do that. And then later on, the Immaculate Conception. Many people don't know that one of the first evangelists of the New World was not the Franciscan friars, especially in the present day state of Texas and uh, part of New Mexico. Was Venerable Mary of Agrita, who was a Poor Clare nun, but not just any Poor Clare nun. She was a Poor Clare Conceptionist nun. That means they had a special devotion, as Poor Clare nuns, to the Immaculate Conception. And uh, she bilocated from her convent in Spain over 700 times, they say, to the Indians in that present-day area of part of Texas, I think near El Paso. And part of New Mexico, when she first appeared, they fired arrows at her and, uh, she disappeared and came back again. Eventually, they allowed her to speak to the, to them and she evangelized them. And after she had converted them to Catholicism, she said, go now in a procession with a cross made from two, uh, pieces of wood and go and show yourself to the friars. And be baptized. And so they did. And when they came in procession, the friars are looking at these Indians coming in procession with a cross at front of them. And they said, where did you hear about the gospel? Who told you about Jesus and salvation? And they said, a woman in blue taught us of the catechism and said that we must present ourselves to be baptized. The interesting thing about it is that the last time she appeared to the Indians um, and the Spaniards weren't sure who this woman in blue was. They thought maybe it was the Blessed Virgin Mary herself. But the last time Mary Vagreta appeared to the Indians, a a miraculous flower appeared in the valley, in the meadow, the same color as her mantle. And that blue flower is the state flower of Texas, the Texas blue bonnet flower. So Texas, I guess, doesn't realize how much it's been um, blessed by mm. by our lady's Immaculate Conception, especially with this special miraculous flower that was left behind. So that's the Immaculate Conception through this sister who evangelized the early inhabitants of our land. And then when... Pius the ninth, uh, proclaimed or asked the bishops to come to Rome to just talk about whether or not Our Lady was the Immaculate Conception. The, eventually, of course, we came down to the Pope. He had to make the decision because the bishops couldn't agree and were kind of in a confusion. So he took the matter into his own hands and he proclaimed the Immaculate Conception. But at the, the ceremony where he was to read at the ceremony where he was supposed to read the um, the proclamation he had he said there's a very humble little bishop over there he said I'd like that bishop to hold the proclamation while I read it and it was of course the future St. John Neumann of Philadelphia who held the proclamation while he proclaimed the Immaculate Conception and so we're talking about the Immaculate Conception, and it's important because the Miraculous Medal was also a very important means by which Our Lady used that medal to increase devotion to help create a swell, you might say, of devotion to Our Lady's Immaculate Conception because of all the miracles she worked through that medal, which she asked Sister, at that time, Sister Catherine Laboree, who had a hard time, but eventually convinced her spiritual director to have the medal struck and distributed. And once it was distributed, it worked so many miracles that it became known as the miraculous metal. But as you said earlier, it really, the official title is the Medal of the Immaculate Conception, because of course it says on the front of the medal,
7: Hi, this is Trent Horn from Catholic Answers. Has anyone ever told you that they believe abortion is wrong, except in the case of rape? It's easy for pro-lifers to come off as uncaring towards women when they talk about this issue, especially if they only say rape accounts for 1% of abortions. That's true, but more should be said. Strongly affirm that rape is an awful crime and that women are victimized when others don't take this crime seriously. Some countries execute rape victims in honor killings, which is barbaric. In our country, we don't execute rapists, much less rape victims, and yet we execute the child who was conceived in rape, the other innocent party. Shouldn't we oppose acts of violence against rape victims and the children conceived through rape? This has been Trent Horn with a Catholic Answers Pro-Life Minute. For my free pro-life booklet that will make you better at defending human life, visit whyweareprolife.com. So many of us carry such heavy burdens.
2: You're crazy!
8: Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So, if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. This
6: is the Medal of the Immaculate Conception because, of course, it says on the front of the medal, O oh Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. And it has, of course, Our Lady of Grace as she is depicted. With rays of light coming from her hands and standing on the, on the on the earth and with her foot on the serpent, Genesis three fifteen, and on the backside we see her cross with her with the M kind of hanging on the cross, and that I always understood it to mean that the Immaculate Conception <clears throat> is through the foreseen merits of Christ's death on the cross. It kind of hangs on Christ. Redeemed us by liberative redemption, but he preserved his mother from all eternity from any stain of sin. So the backside of the medal is also a witness to not only her, her car, her immaculate conception, but also that she's co-redemptrix because she stands at the foot of the cross. And because she's the immaculate conception, she can be offered with and can offer Christ for our salvation. Christ didn't go to Calvary just to do the Father's will. He also went to Calvary doing his mother's will. And how do we know that? Because at the wedding feast of Cana, she said, Son, they have no wine. And he said, What to me to thee? My hour has not yet come. And she knew very well what he meant by hour, meaning his passion. And Our Lady didn't flinch. Because he said, What to me to thee? To me implies that he's saying, Mother, what are you asking? Because What you're asking of me also is going to imply you. And she didn't turn away. She didn't flinch. She just said, do whatever he tells you with such great confidence. And, of course, he worked his first public miracle, and that began his path and is on the road to Calvary. So that's where she gave her consent. Many times Our Lady gave her her consent, not just at the beginning when she became the mother, but she also gave her consent to be the choreotemtrix, uh, and wanting to unite her sufferings with her son and to give him permission. he wouldn't go to Calvary without her permission either. So that's the importance of Our Lady's role as the Magnetic Inception. But, <laughs> but the medal of the miraculous, uh, the, the miraculous medal is, um, Such a teaching tool, as I said, because of all the symbolism. But also because Our Lady promised that those who wear the medal around their neck and have confidence in her intercession will receive great graces. And um, that's important. It's not a lucky charm. You have to put into practice what Our Lady says. Do what she says, like those faithful servants who did whatever Jesus told them. So the thing goes for us. We ought to do what our Lady says. Wear the medal, and have great confidence in her intercession, and uh, she will, she will, grant great graces to those who who do that. And um, she has done so throughout the ages. Many say that during the time of the plague, and when, especially when we had this COVID thing, many did not suffer from the um, plague as it was breaking out in France it was one of the miracles that she worked at that time so and for me I experienced a little grace myself as I did come down with COVID this past month and I was in the hospital for 20 days I entered in on the 6th of November and I got out of the hospital on the 26th which was the Vigil of Our Lady's Miraculous Medal, so she oh, wow. got me out of the hospital on time to celebrate her feast day on the 27th of November, so I experienced a little bit of her intercession myself. Praise be to God.
3: That's a uh, Father, there is uh, about a million different questions that I'd like to follow up with, but I will try to resign myself to this. I like your comments on this quote from, I don't know if you're familiar with, Professor Plenio Correa de la Vera, who is the founder of the Brazilian Defense for Tradition, Family and Property, he said, quote, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception considered in itself clashed with the essentially egalitarian spirit of the revolution that since 1789 has despotically reigned in the West to see a simple creature so elevated over others by an inestimable privilege. Conceded to her at the first moment of her existence cannot help but pain the children of the revolution that proclaim absolute equality among men as a principle of all order, justice, and good. Could you speak about Our Lady's role in and being the Immaculate Conception, uh, combating the errors of our time? Uh, I notice it all the time where people hate the idea that heaven is a hierarchy and hate the idea that there there will be greater and lesser places in heaven.
6: Yeah, well, definitely. Our Lady has been given a special role because she's the Queen of the Angels. And she is, really, that's the reason why we have any revolution, is because for the Franciscan thesis, and it's based on the Apocalypse Chapter 12, that the Franciscans believe that, that the angels were given a test before they were put into the state of grace. And what was the test they were given? It seems that Apocalypse 12 says that God showed them his plan, that he always intended for his son to become incarnate. It's called The Absolute Primacy of Christ in the Franciscan school. It's based on St. Irenaeus and the fathers of the church, and St. Paul himself writes in his letter to the Ephesians that God chose us in Christ, not in the eternal word, but in Christ before the foundation of the world, that he already had in mind the incarnation before he even started to form the first thing, let there be light. And so God shared with the angels his plan, and he showed them that his son would become incarnate of the Virgin Mary. And it is said, and it seems to be the case from looking at Apocalypse 12, that Lucifer and his cohort could accept Jesus as the son of God as their Lord, because he still be true God. He would be a divine person and not a human person. But what they couldn't accept was that Our Lady, because she would be the mother of the Son of God, she would be elevated by grace, by the Immaculate Conception, to be greater than all the angels and saints put together. And that went against the ego of Lucifer and his cohort and they said non serviam i will not serve so that they revolted against heaven and against god because he would not serve the woman and i think that that also shows us why in the garden that lucifer went after eve first and not adam even though adam was the head of the human race i think he went after eve thinking that she was to be the mother of the son of god And when she ate of the fruit, he thought, oh, I messed up God's plan because there's no way God's going to be born of a tainted fountain, a polluted fountain. And um, that's where God revealed to him that, no, that's not the woman, that the woman that is going to be coming, she'll you'll have envy between you and her. You'll never have any uh, allegiance. You'll never have any control. You'll never have any friendship with this woman. So I think... Then, of course, the spirit of all revolution goes way back to the first one who revolted, which was Satan himself. And even Saul Alinsky even gives a kudo to the devil in his diabolical work on the rules for radicals, where he says that the first one to obtain a kingdom for himself was Lucifer. And so a kingdom, though, which is a kingdom of misery and suffering. But um, so anybody who... anybody or any group who wants to exalt themselves and their ego and their own agenda over God's will and will not serve God. Well, they're all going to end up being revolutionaries and radicals and they're going to always try to undermine God's order, Hmm. his plan. God has an order. It's an order that is of justice and peace and charity and always, of course, it's operated according to God's um, Ten Commandments, you might say. And so they're always going to be trying to undermine that and, and place themselves above God. This is what the revolutionaries of today even want to do. The big promoters of the New World Order, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, the Klaus Schwab's of the world, they want to promote their own idea as better than what God has done even they have the arrogance to say in this transhumanism 2.0 that they're going to improve upon human nature they're going to do a better job than god did if that's not the arrogance and the un, the subtle hiss from hell it's the devil's way of he hates humanity and he's going to ha- he's going to destroy humanity by ma- by mankind thinking that he's going to do something to improve upon what god has already made so it's the ultimate um it's the ultimate lie, which he's always been doing. But the fact is that there are people there in our world who like to listen to the devil and like to think that they are exalt themselves. Our Lady didn't exalt herself, she was very humble. And those who want to promote revol- revolution are always about promoting themselves and their, their diabolical ideas. Amen.
3: Thank you, Father. And uh, I just were thinking of the uh, Our Lady set in battle array whenever we we think about these things. Uh, One Hmm. thing you note at the very beginning of the interview.
2: I would always hear from
0: uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes It's very possible to know the Lord, and it's very possible to have a relationship with God in the Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church, and that's where I belong. If you've been
8: away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org.
0: Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question if you're a non-Catholic friend. What does it take to constitute an actual church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a gathering of Christians is not automatically a church. Although Matthew 18 says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst, that is not a text to be interpreted as a premise for a church. That's a requirement to legitimize an accusation. Secondly, Catholic teaching. Christ established and sustains the church as both a mystical community and a visible organization with hierarchy and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. Eventually, you have to decide what one item is absolutely essential for our Lord to say, That's my church. So is it a church if there's simply a common belief in the Bible? Or perhaps just a doctrinal agreement? Is it compliance to the Apostles' Creed? Could it be the stamp of approval from a denomination? Maybe an ordained pastor makes it officially a church. So, you know that place you've been attending every Sunday morning at 10 a.m.? Maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's just a good, healthy hangout. Ooh.
3: Thank you, Father. And uh, I just remember thinking of the uh, Our Lady set in battle array whenever we, talk, we think about these things. Uh, one hmm. thing you note at the very beginning of the interview, which shocked me at first, because I had never heard this before, was, uh, that Maximilian Colby hadn't read any of Louis de Mumford or the Dominican tradition on Our Lady before coming to these conclusions himself. I personally, I was in the Dominican novitiate for a while, and I have a deep, uh, Dominican spirituality, uh, even though I recognize Macklin Conception is, you know, Franciscan through and through, Duns Scotus, hmm. um, Leonard of Port Maurice, of course, Max Colby. Uh, but one, I, have from, uh, say, uh, the, uh, from Father Reginald to Gary Goulagrange. I wanted to, uh, read this to you and see what you, uh, see, get your comments on it. He says, At a time when all truth were being deprecated, when many refused to believe either in original sin or in the necessity of baptismal regeneration, it was fitting that the church should solemnly define this dogma and that Mary should remind us of all these truths by telling us at Lord's, I am the Immaculate Conception. This privilege far from detracting from the dogma of the universal redemption of souls by Jesus Christ, it discloses to us in the person of Mary, sovereign redemption in its most perfect form conceivable. Could you speak on that, especially in regards to what does it mean, I am the Immaculate Conception versus I was Immaculately Conceived?
6: Well, I think it points to the fact that just as when God said to Moses, I am who am, it's his nature to be. God's God's the only one that is necessary being. I am who am. So, Our Lady, when she said, "I am the Immaculate Conception," she isn't stating that it's just a quality. It's almost like a state of being. That everything about being immaculate and pure is who defines the Blessed Virgin Mary, and that that is her essence. That of course, that we also know that your our existence. Comes at the moment of our conception so it's it's also very important i think that she identifies her personhood with her conception i am the immaculate conception you might say we are tainted conceptions but she is the immaculate conception the one that never was and never would be under the dominion or influence of the evil one so that um Saint, or blessed John Duns Scotus, I think gave a perfect, his his argument was, and I think that's alluded to by Geragula Grange, when Saint, or blessed John Duns Scotus said, if our Lord is God, that means being God, that he does everything perfectly, or he isn't God. And so if he's a perfect redeemer, that means there has to be at least one member of the human race who is perfectly redeemed, or he's not a perfect redeemer. And he says, what is more perfect, to get sick and be given the cure or to be preserved by some way, you might say, being inoculated spiritually, supernaturally, that you never get sick in the first place? And he said, of course, the first is more perfect, and that's called preservative redemption. And the second one that we have all received is liberative redemption. We got sick and we were given the cure through baptism and reception of the sacraments and when we die, we will be immaculate to whatever degree that we arrive at um, the purification and, and, um, we'll all be immaculate conceptions, you might say, at the end of our lives because we will be pure and, and without sin when we get to heaven. But she's immaculate, can the conceived and the immaculate conception from the first moment of her existence. And already at the first moment of her existence, her holiness surpasses all the saints and angels in heaven that will ever be. And that's at the moment of her conception, because at the moment of conception, she still had, well, we believe in the Franciscan order, 72 years more of life on earth in which she could merit. So her holiness is so far out there above us that we can't see it. St. Maximine Colby says, just as God is, because being a divine person is so high above Our Lady, So our lady by her Immaculate Conception is so far above us. But that being exalted does not make her unapproachable, doesn't make her high and snooty, doesn't make our lady some kind of prima donna. She makes her the Madonna, the one that is the one that really comes down to us and helps us because the Immaculate Conception didn't make her puffed up and prideful like Satan and all the revolutionaries that have followed after him, but rather has made her so humble. The Lord has done, the Lord has done great things for me and holy is his name. That's what the effect of the Immaculate Conception did to Our Lady's heart and soul. Made her the most perfect disciple and follower of Christ and also his, his cooperator, his mediatrix, and his co-redemptrix in the work of salvation. So I think it's so important that, um, that we acknowledge that, that final grace, you might say, that our lady's waiting for. Well, that Jesus wants to give to his mother already is that she is his co-redemptrix, mediatrix, and advocate. I think that has to be part of her. Triumph. If we talk about the triumph of her Immaculate Heart, and of course, the great graces that she wants to give to us, is that I think that we acknowledge her as that in the church and in the world. Wow, Father, that's
3: that's amazing. Uh, there's I, I keep saying this. There's so many different angles to take this. I guess you could spend the rest of your life, and I guess people do spend the rest of their lives talking about this. um Well,
6: you can never say enough about Our Lady.
3: Absolutely not. As you know, Amen. And, uh, you know, okay. I'm trying to figure out which, which thread to pick up. One thing is, uh, Venerable Mary of your whole thing on Venerable Mary of earlier really struck me. I have a, I love Venerable Mary of being in Texas. I had known the story of her there. But I had not known that she was a Franciscan. I did not know that she was a, of an immaculate, uh, a province or of a community named after the immaculate. And that, that struck me. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, uh, yeah, they question, wore a
6: white habit. They wore a white habit instead of a brown one with a blue mantle. Yeah, and that's were, why I didn't recognize it. They were founded it. by a Portuguese nun named Beatrice da Silva. So um, it was a special group. They still exist, but they had a special devotion within the Franciscans, even to the Immaculate Conception.
3: Yeah, I had no idea. That's beautiful. Um, my question is, I was told, so I went to, I got my bachelor's in theology, and in my one of my classes, um, one of my professors, I won't say his name, He said the, we are talking about Our Lady and their relationship with the, with the Holy Trinity. And in it, it, during the discussion, he had said that the, um, that Our Lady was not to be considered the spouse of the Holy Ghost. And I was uh, very offended by that. And I went to go talk to him afterwards and we discussed this. And he goes, and he tells me, um, he says, uh, Adrian, the, it's not obliged by the church that we refer to Our Lady as the spouse of the Holy Ghost. And I was like, Father, but the saints say that she is the spouse of the Holy Ghost. And he said, What it is, uh, and he, he was making an appeal to scripture saying that the Holy Ghost is referred to in feminine form in the Old Testament and therefore it would be wrong to consider her the uh, spouse of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Father, how would you respond to
6: this? Well, I think you have to realize. There's more than sacred scripture. There's an oral tradition. And the fact the first one to ever refer to Our Lady as spouse of the Holy Spirit (coughs) was our own Holy Father, St. Francis. The first one who ever referred to her as spouse of the Holy Spirit was St. Francis of Assisi. Before, like your professor probably would have said, people referred to her as the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Something of the Holy Spirit. I can't remember. There's different titles. But St. Francis was meditating on the relationship that Our Lady has with each one of the three persons. So he's using, I might say, logic at the use, uh, at the service of faith. So he said, She's the eternal daughter, the predestined eternal daughter of the eternal, of the eternal Father. She's the predestined daughter of the eternal Father, the mother of the eternal Son, and she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And so, he reflected on that and, and St. Francis was no slouch when it came to theology, even though he didn't print and write treatises, he lived it out in his life. And, uh, St. Maximine Colby came along later and said, there's a connection between spouse of the Holy Spirit and immaculate conception. And, uh, in his reflection, he got it from, of course, Lourdes, where when our lady, our lady was asked by Bernadette, what is your name, oh beautiful lady? She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. And St. Maximine Colby said, <coughs> like you pondered, Our Lady didn't say I'm Immaculate Conceived. She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. He said, What is a conception? He said, A conception is the fruit of love between two persons. And he said, within the Trinity, can we say that there is a conception between the love of the Father for the Son and the Son's love for the Father? Can we say that there could be a conception that fruit of their love is also an eternal person, the third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit, who is the uncreated, immaculate conception? And he said, yes, we can say that. But he said, outside of the Trinity, Is there some place in the created order where the love for the father, for his son, and the son's love for his father, do they meet somewhere in the created order? Does their love for each other, the father for the son and the son for the father, do they meet somewhere in the created order? And they said yes, in the created Immaculate Conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So much, St. Maximilian Colby says, is Our Lady, the spouse of the Holy Spirit, that for all intents and purposes, they act as one. Since spousal union means the two shall become one. Now Our Lady does not become a divine person. She remains a human person. But by the grace of the Immaculate Conception, there never was a moment in which Our Lady's will was not entirely united to and in conformity with the will of God. that is a That in and of itself is a marvel. St. John of the Cross says that the only spirit that moved Our Lady was the Holy Spirit. She was not moved by passion. She was not moved by her own desire. <clears throat> moved only by the Holy Spirit. Wow. So, I can't imagine why someone would have a problem with Our Lady being the spouse of the Holy Spirit, just reflecting on the fact that each and every one of us has a relationship with the Trinity, and she by per excellence has a relationship that is far more exalted than anyone else, is that the fact that she is the predestined daughter, since the, the absolute primacy was that God intended the incarnation from all eternity, that means He already had in mind the woman he would take that human nature from for his son she is the mother of the eternal son she is not an incubator she was truly the mother who conceived the son of god and she is truly is the spouse of the holy spirit the holy spirit loves her because she is the most she's the one who's who opened her heart completely to him
7: a young and
4: diverse generation helping those in need and promoting human rights. We care for the environment. We embrace authentic witnesses and dream of a better world. Our passion comes from God who loves us even when we fall and cheers on our victories.
2: If you sometimes wonder, is there something more? Then come and see at catholicscomehome.com Contact us at standtalltoday.com.
0: When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish, and we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away
8: from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Over the years, people were treated as less than human because they were a different race, a different faith, or vulnerable. But over time, we must learn that we are all God's children, created in His image, that all human creation has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a right to love and be loved. So let's cherish the sanctity of life because we know how it feels when others treat us as less than human.
6: The Holy Spirit loves her because she is the most... She's the one who opened her heart completely to Him. And loved him back with all the love that the created person could give in the Immaculate Conception. And so she is his spouse and he does not act without her consent. St. Maximine Kolbe says, God will not give any grace. The Holy Spirit will not go and give anyone any supernatural life without the consent and the cooperation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's, that's a mystery. But that's what it means to be the spouse of the Holy Spirit.
3: Wow, Father. Uh, This is just so amazing. Uh, I'm trying to limit myself to only two more questions, and then I'll let let you off. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask is in regards to the Marian maximalism versus Mary minimalism. I know a number of people who are apologists and they feel the need to become Mary minimalist in order to try to have a. I I would, I would argue have a misguided sense Mm -hmm. of evangelization and ecumenism they try to uh, minimize our lady's role to just the bare minimum dogmas of the faith and try not to go beyond that could you explain and give a defense for marian maximalism
6: well i can't imagine anybody who thinks they're a minimalist as somehow giving praise and glory to christ because christ did not give his mother the minimal christ does not love his mother oh i i think i love her too much christ loves his mother as as the son of god loves his mother and i think that the day you have more devotion than jesus to mary then you'll have too much devotion so i can't imagine anybody who thinks they're a minimalist is somehow thinking that they're imitating or pleasing christ because the first maximalist when it comes to devotion to the blessed virgin mary is jesus christ He loves his mother to the max. And that's why he wants the fifth Marian dogma, because she isn't getting all the the glory that she deserves. Jesus wants her to have that. Matter of fact, she appeared at Fatima, and twice she told the children, once in June, she said, God wishes to establish devotion to my Immaculate Heart. And then again, she said again in July, the Holy Trinity Wishes to establish devotion to my Immaculate Heart. Our Lady wasn't asking this on her own. She said that God, the Holy Trinity, wanted to establish devotion, which Pope's later on said meant consecration to her Immaculate Heart, because that's the highest devotion you can have is to consecrate yourself to someone. And I can't imagine someone who thinks that's going to minimize Our Lady is somehow thinking that they're pleasing or following the example of Christ. Christ didn't mention His mother very often, but He did mention her at very important places, the wedding feast of Cana, where He said, Woman, what to me to thee? And she said, Do whatever He tells you. And He, she, he said, um, uh, He says, Do whatever He tells you. So everybody... A lot of the Protestants and even these minimalist Catholics, they think all you have to do is listen to Jesus. But they forget the end of the gospel where at the foot of the cross, Jesus looks down and he says, woman, behold, your son, son, behold, your mother. Yes. She says, do whatever he tells you. And he says, woman, behold, your son or son, behold, your mother. And it seems like they forget that, that the last command from Christ was placing us in her care, giving us to our lady and that we should be maximalists, like John at the foot of the cross. Take her into our home means to make her the center of your spiritual life. Doesn't mean, say, leave her out outside on the street corner, but take her into your home. And um, I can't see where someone can defend Marian minimalism or whatever and somehow think that they're imitating Christ. Christ loves his mother to the maximum. Amen. He still wants her to, to, he says, all generations shall call me blessed. God's not satisfied that we just call her blessed for our time, but till the end of time, he wants her to be called blessed. So I just, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot stand this minimalistic attitude. Somehow our lady is going to get in the way of devotion to Jesus. She is not a, She's not an obstacle. She's the magnifier. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And uh, if we want to bring Jesus into the picture even more, we got to bring his mother into the conversation, or we're never going to get to where we need to get to.
3: Yeah, thank you very much, Father. That's, that's beautiful. I'm just thinking of St. Louis de Mumford, whenever he's people asked him about, you know, about having too much devotion to Our Lady, and he said, uh, do not be afraid to have too much devotion to Our Lady because you can't love her more than Jesus loved her. And, uh, yeah. yeah, beautiful, absolutely beautiful.
6: But, um, and, and the other thing is that Pope John Paul too, in speaking to a group of Carmelite nuns, which I think you, you could take and expand it to anybody who calls themselves Catholic, at least. He said it was their vocation to continue the love that Jesus has for his mother. That that's our job too, as Christians, is to imitate Christ. We're to imitate him in what he loved. He loved souls. He loved to. He loved people to. You know, he wanted the people to save their souls. But he also loved his mother more than anybody else in the whole world. So we got to have that kind of love that Jesus has for her, and it wasn't minimalistic at all. No matter absolutely. of fact, it, probably the biggest suffering of our Lord was the fact that he was away from his mother so many times when he was out preaching. I'm sure he wished that he could have had his mother at his side more often than not.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Father. I was thinking of what you are saying that, um, that the Venerable, not Venerable Saint, uh, King Saint Ferdinand, whenever he was going off to battle, he turned to his mother and said, uh, my Lord, uh, stretched out his arms in the cold, uh, wood of the cross instead of staying in the embrace, warm embrace of his mother's arms. And so his knight can only do likewise. And it just struck me as something so, so beautiful that yes, it would have been such, it would have been such a pain to leave, his mother's arms and then not just leave his mother's arms, but then lay himself out on the cross. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just unfathomable to, to think Mm -hmm. about. Um, And the
6: greatest, and the greatest suffering was the fact that our Lord knew he was going to inflict that terrible pain on his mother, that she was required to witness this. You know, he didn't say, mom, you can go home and stay at home when this happens. He wanted her to come and be the witness because she was being offered an offering. She had to be there because she was offering Christ as a sacrifice, as the co-redemptrix, but also all the pains and all her woes, all her sufferings were being reunited with, and Christ was accepting that as part of the sacrifice of Calvary, mm-hmm. that co-redemptive element that is so important. And just to get back briefly, St. Maximilian Colby, as I said, never read St. Louis de Montfort's treatise till after he had already established the Militia Maculata, and he said, "This too is, you know, it's uh, if it's Catholic, it means it's there within the, the 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 you might say the fibers of the Church, this whole notion of consecration to Our Lady, because it came to us from the foot of the cross, from Christ mm-hmm. Himself, its apostolic origins. At the foot of the cross, where you have co-redemption, you also have co- consecration. So those who are consecrated to Our Lady also have to be united with and." and believers and promoters of co-redemption, because they both were born at the foot of the cross. Amen, Father. I
3: I see, okay, I I wanted to ask just one more question, but now I have to ask you about the Fifth Marian Dogma. Could you tell me, what is the Fifth Marian Dogma? What is this all about? I have, I think I've heard of this only one other time, so uh, this is something I don't know much about.
6: Well, the Fifth Marian Dogma is that Our Lady is, it's called the universal co-redemption and mediation of all graces that others will say that she's co-redemptrix, mediatrix of all grace, and advocate of all people. <laughs> it was asked at some private revelations, like uh, Our Lady of All Nations in the 1940s. And it was asked again and promoted at the messages of Our Lady of Akita in Japan in the 1970s. But it is has its origins in apostolic tradition, in people magisterium and it's scriptural and what co means and co-redemption means is co in front of redemptrix means com in latin which means with feminine co-redemptrix as opposed to redemptor we have redemptrix the feminine counterpart who was with the redeemer she who was with the redeemer and that means that that Our Lady participated in a unique way in the redemption of everyone, not just in subjective redemption, but in the objective redemption of every soul who would ever live. Our Lady participated in that, like Christ, but subordinate to Christ, that it was part of that offering that Christ asked of his mother and required of his mother that she gave her consent, that she said, yes, I will, that you should suffer, at Calvary, she gave her consent when she said "Being to become the mother of the Redeemer. And then later on, she gave that consent to further, as the time went on, he enlightened her more and more about his mission. As St. Peter Julian Amart said, those 30 years that she was and she and our Lord were in that house together in the hidden life. They weren't playing cards all night. They were, he was instructing his mother about his role and his work of redemption so that she was already enlightened greatly about what her son was about and what he was to do. So that when it came time to the wedding feast of Cana, when she said, son, they have no wine, he's, he said to her, My hour, what to me to thee? My hour has not yet come. It's not time for my passion. And she said, oh, without saying anything else, do whatever he tells you. She said, oh, yes, it has. I'm now asking you to work your first public miracle, which means we're going to begin the way of the cross, the way to Calvary. So she had to give her consent. And he waited for her to give her consent before he began his public ministry. But she also had to give her consent at the foot of the cross and to all that he endured. So she gave her consent many times. But also she contributed to the sacrifice of Calvary, which no one else can say, that is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There would be no offering. There would, Christ would, be no, would not be a priest if he had not taken on flesh in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The first seminary was the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary because that's where Christ became a priest. Once he had a body to be sacrificed, now he is a priest. So she contributed in a unique way, unlike anybody else. We had a, I had a novice master who used to go to Boston College for a catechetical class. And one of the classes he had to attend was from a rather, one of these feminist nuns who was very popular in the 70s. I think it was Rosemary Ruther or something like that she was one of the professors he had to listen to and always she kept repeating he said throughout the semester oh our lady's just like you and she's just like me i love our lady because she's just like you and she's just like me finally he raised his hand towards the end of the class and end of the semester he said sister she said yes friar what do you have to say he said i just want to say to you that I love Our Lady because she's not like you and she's not like me. Because if she's like you and she's like me, she can't help me. Because Mm -hmm. if she's like me and she's like you, we're all drowning in the ocean. We need someone who's not drowning who can help pick us up out of the water. And so that's why I love her because she's not like me and she's not like you. Because God loved her too much and he made her the Immaculate Conception to help us. The little beachhead of grace. In all of humanity that Christ could come and enter into the world and redeem us. Wow, Father. That made me think
3: of um, these horrible blasphemies against Our Lady that have been happening. I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of so many things right now that we have to make reparation for, but I'm uh, specifically thinking of, I was at Washington DC for the March for Life and a certain bishop was giving a sermon and in it he blasphemed Our Lady by saying that she was an unwed mother and that our Lord was yes. born out of wedlock and just trying to be relatable, trying to come from a good place, but absolutely horrific. And it, it broke
6: my heart to hear yes. it from the mouth of a bishop of the church. Yes, that pains my heart whenever I hear someone say that Our Lady was an unwed mother. They do not understand the nature of, of, them, of the right of matrimony in the ancient Hebrew tradition.
4: This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when you try to keep up with the current fashions? You go nuts. When we are obsessed with keeping up with the times, we become slaves. Fashions are never settled. To chase something that is always changing is simply futile. It's not freedom, it's insanity. G.K. Chesterton says... The Catholic Church is the only thing that saves a man from the degrading slavery of being a child of his age. Christianity is always out of fashion because it's always sane, and fashions are always insane. The Catholic Church never has to worry about being behind the times because it is beyond the times. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org.
7: There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for
8: any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org.
6: Yes, that pains my heart whenever I hear someone say that Our Lady was an unwed mother. They do not understand the nature of, of them, of the rite of matrimony in the ancient Hebrew tradition, in the ancient culture, that there was two parts to it, that she was a married virgin at the time. A spouse didn't mean engaged. It meant already they'd exchanged vows. So she was a married virgin at the time when The angel Gabriel appeared to her and uh, God would not choose a dysfunctional relationship in order to make it the perfect example of all families. He would not do that. He would not choose a dysfunctional relationship, which is not a married couple who's vowed to themselves to be true to each other till (laughs) death do them part to make that as a model for all for all families. He would already have it done in a proper way that they made their vows, but they had not come to live together, which was a perfect way to explain how Our Lady was a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, and why she would then say that she had a vow, and they were not going to ever be engaged in the marital act, is that when the angel said to her, you're going to conceive and bear a son, she says, how can this be since I know not man? You know, and say, well, what are you talking about? You're married. Why would you be not knowing man? because they never intended Hmm. so it is the beauty of god's ways which all we can do is wonder and marvel at them and um and like the 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 dear sister who spoke at this republican national convention she also said the same thing that our lady was an unwed mother i just cringe when i hear that Mm -hmm. it's because it's not true and um God did not choose a dysfunctional uh, relationship or or situation to make her the the, the model of all virgins and mothers and to be the, the foundation for the Holy Family.
3: Amen, Father. Okay, last question, Father, I promise. This is the last one. Uh, could you leave us with some practical notes about the Holy Rosary, the Miraculous Medal, maybe the brown scapular? Uh, leave us with some practicality. How can we uh, live out this devotion to the Immaculate Conception in our lives via the devotions that the Church has given us?
6: Well, first of all, we need to make use of them. We need to wear the scapular. We need to wear the Miraculous Medal. This year... <laughs> This year, 2021, is the 770th anniversary of Our Lady giving the Brown Scapular to St. Simon Stock. So I don't think most of us will be around in 2051, which would be the 800th anniversary, but I'm already celebrating at least the 770th anniversary of the giving of the Brown Scapular this year on July 16th. So, the scapular was given as a sign of consecration to her Immaculate Heart, as a great promise to keep us from the fires of hell. And I think we should be making use of these sacramentals. When we make use of them with faith, then God works miracles. And um, the same goes with the miraculous medal. Wear the medal around your neck and have great confidence in her intercession. And she will watch over you. She will bless you she will probably even keep you out of some dangers that you're not even aware of that probably because you just said I will I will do this for love of our lady she'll bless you for it the nice thing about the the wearing the scapular is that something that saint claude de colombier says that when you're praying the rosary you're exhibiting or exercising devotion for 15 minutes to a half hour however long it is that it takes you to wear the, to pray the rosary but when you're wearing the scapular you're giving a 24/7 sign that you love our lady and that you're asking her to watch out for you because it's a co- a covenant. You're saying I love you Mary and you promise to watch over me. And so I'm holding you to that as you wear the scapular even when you're asleep at night you're still showing your love and devotion to our lady because you're wearing it. Must someone get enrolled in
3: the brown scapular and the miraculous medal
6: father? You have to be enrolled in the brown scapular. But you just have to have the miraculous medal. It's called an imposition. But uh, St. Maximine Kolbe used to hand the miraculous medal out all the time to people. And he said, if they would take it, our lady gets her foot in the door. And when she gets her foot in the door, then she can work miracles of grace. And so many people have become Catholic. And they don't realize that some one day someone gave them a miraculous medal and they, they kept it. And, <clears throat> then you know, they're going to Catholic Church.
3: And then finally, the Holy Rosary,
6: Father. So, finally, the Holy Rosary, I think it becomes more meaningful to pray the rosary when you, you, when you ask yourself, when you pray those mysteries, how does God show his love for me in this mystery, and how do I respond to that love? And I think that the best way to respond to that love is to see how does Our Lady respond to God's grace in those mysteries? And she will be, I think, the key to helping you to enter more deeply into these mysteries and pondering them in the heart, since she pondered these same things in her heart as well.
3: So. Thank you very much, Father. Could you leave us with your blessing?
6: Sure. Let's say a little prayer before we end, especially in thanksgiving for the grace of the Immaculate Conception and all that Our Lady has done for us throughout the, throughout our lives, but especially this past year. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary, Mary Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee, and for all who do not have recourse to thee, especially for the enemies of the Holy Church and those recommended to thee.
3: That was an amazing interview with Father Elias. Uh, absolutely tremendous. But... You know, something else is happening during this time, this weekend. Today is a feast of the Immaculate Conception, of course. I mean, that's what we've been talking about, right? But another amazing feast day is right around the corner, and that is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, I am certain that you've heard the story of Our Lady Guadalupe before, at the very least. I mean, you had to have heard it from myself, right? I mean, I've talked about it on the show many times. And you're listening probably on the Guadalupe Radio Network, so I'm sure you're familiar with the story. But there is a little known story that is associated with Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I want to share that story with you. You see, in the heart of Mexico City, atop the sacred Tepeyac Hill, stands a shrine of immense significance to Catholics, and that's the Basilica of Our Lady Guadalupe, right? But... Right down the road, if you just turn the corner there, adjacent to the chapel is a unique monument known as Las Velas del Marino, or the Sails of the Seafarer. Now, it stands tall, resembling the mast and sails of a ship. It's carved in stone, and this structure has a very captivating story relating to Our Lady. You see, the stone sails dates back to 1565 when General Miguel Lopez de Legazepe faced a tempest on his return from the Philippines. Desperate and on the verge of sinking, the crew made a solemn vow to Our Lady of Guadalupe, saying that if she saved them, they would carry their last remaining sail to her on pilgrimage. Miraculously, the storm subsided and true to their word, the crew fulfilled their promise. The stone sails, a votive offering born from a sailor's heartfelt commitment, became a symbol of gratitude and a testament to the protective embrace of La Virgen, uh, Our Lady Guadalupe. And so over the years, travelers have documented the unique monument. And many people, including, for instance, Colonel Albert Evans, writing in 1873, described the stone sails as a tribute to a Spanish rover who in a moment of mortal peril vowed to honor the Virgin if she ensured his safe navigation. Frederick Obar in 1884 shared a similar account of a sailor caught at sea, offering a stone ship as a votive to Our Lady of Guadalupe for averting the disaster. But it was Friar Il. Hilariana de Bergamo, an Italian Franciscan friar who provided the first-hand account in 1761. You see the crew having faced a storm, carry their foresail to the church of the divine shepherdess where a mass was celebrated in gratitude. The stone cells an enduring symbol of devotion has defied the passage of time standing as a silent witness to countless stories of peril and salvation. You see, the sailors' votive crafted a stone which echoes the unwavering trust that seafarers place in Our Lady as Star of the Sea. And how many of us think about Our Lady of Guadalupe as Star of the Sea? And how many miracles have been associated with Our Lady of Guadalupe in sailing? It's very interesting. I, I'm very curious as to why Our Lady decided that she wants to be known in this special way in association with the Star of the Sea. So as we think about this stone cell, and if you ever get to go to Mexico City, uh, check it out right by the basilica there. Think about the stone cells as a symbol of faith, of gratitude, and of miraculous intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And think about her enduring power and her maternal mantle when we face life storms. So we may acknowledge our lady of Guadalupe as Stella Maris star of the sea guiding and protecting us, our seafarers on this voyage on our voyage home. Cause this ship of life, this ship of the earth, it's not our home. It's only the means in which we make it home. And that home being heaven. So let us pray this weekend to Our Lady of Guadalupe as star of the sea. Let's ask Our Lady of Guadalupe to give us the courage and the strength and the miracles that we need to face the different tollments, the, the crashing waves of life. And let us remember like all of these different people who brought their sails who built stone sails, who built a stone boat, who brought pieces of their boats to Our Lady Guadalupe. Let's be like them. Let's be like them and remember to give thanks to Our Lady. So let us meditate upon that today. May God bless you. May God love you. And Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us have recourse to thee. And Our Lady of Guadalupe, star of the sea, pray for us. God bless you. God love you.
0: everyone you meet.
1: Bye now, and God love you.
7: Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Immaculate
1: Mary, Thy praises we sing. You reignest in splendor with Jesus, our King. Ave, 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 Maria. Ave, ave, Maria. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done, in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, Hirihehelehi song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you. We glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High. Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. In the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who by the immaculate conception of the Blessed Virgin prepared a worthy dwelling for your Son, grant, we pray, that as you preserved her from every stain, by virtue of the death of your Son which you foresaw, So, through her intercession, we too may be cleansed and admitted to your presence. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen.
9: A reading from the book of Genesis. After the man Adam had eaten of the tree... The Lord God called to the man and asked him, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? You have eaten then from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat. The man replied, the woman whom you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and so I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, Why did you do such a thing? The woman answered, The serpent tricked me into it, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you shall be banned from all the animals and from all the wild creatures. On your belly shall you crawl, and dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. The man called his wife Eve because she became the mother of all the living. The word of the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. Sing to the Lord a new song, For he has done wondrous deeds. His right hand has won victory for him, his holy arm. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. The Lord has made his salvation known. In the sight of the nations he has revealed his justice. He has remembered his kindness and his faithfulness toward the house of Israel. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation by our God. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Break into song, sing praise. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him. In love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the beloved. In him we were also chosen destined in accord with the purpose of the one who accomplishes all things according to the intention of his will, so that he might exist for the praise of his glory, we who first hoped in Christ. The word of the Lord. Alleluia,
1: Alleluia, Alleluia. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word and the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate this beautiful solemnity of the Immaculate Conception because Mary is, first of all, the patroness of the United States, but she was given a singular privilege to be freed from sin from the moment of her conception. It is Blessed Pius IX on December 8th, 1854, who defined this as one of the Marian dogmas of the Church. It has been, of course, believed for centuries, at least since the 5th century, and in fact one of the oldest churches in the United States was established in the mid-1600s in New Mexico was called Purissima Concepcion, or the Most Pure Conception. This of course, by the Franciscans who promoted the Immaculate Conception very early on. Pius Saint Blessed Pius IX declared that we pronounce and define that the doctrine which asserts that the Blessed Virgin Mary, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, was preserved free from every stain of original sin, is a doctrine re- revealed by God, and for this reason must be firmly and constantly believed by all the faithful. This belief in doctrine was confirmed in a very spectacular way, and just four years later, in 1858, when Mary appealed, appeared to St. Bernadette in a small village in France called Lourdes, it was on the last day when Mary revealed herself to Bernadette, saying, I am the Immaculate Conception. Of course, she didn't know what that meant at all, but those who were, of course, in, in the circles of the church knew exactly what it meant, that Mary had revealed that this was true. Where do we get this? In the, script, the scriptural basis, in the greeting that we hear in the gospel today, when the angel Gabriel says, Hail, full of grace, or sometimes translated as most highly favored one, from the Greek word, ke karito, ke karito which means which is only appears once in scripture in this instant, in which we find the root, or the root word in the letter to St. Paul to the Romans that we hear today. In love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the Beloved. Mary, having this special privilege, really for our sake, changed the disobedience of Eve was, is, and is hailed by the, by the angel as Ave, sort of changes the name Eva to Ave, reverses that disobedience of Eve. Mary is the one who, of course, will be obedient to God and opens her life completely. It also reminds us that God has chosen us to live in grace, and that is what true beauty is, to live without sin, to live in the grace of God. Mary, free from sin, is that perfect opening up of the movement of grace to the will of God. She is immaculately conceived in order that Christ may come into the world, but she is also immaculately conceived for us so that we might be able to receive him. Today, we say we pronounce the creed and we will pray the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the God the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. In company with Mary, the Mother of God, principal patron of of our of of the United States. We ask God to hear the prayers we offer for the whole human family, for the ministry of the church, that Mary may imitate, or we, that the church may imitate the Blessed Virgin Mary, be ever receptive to God's word and ever trustful in God's ways, let us pray to the Lord. For our world that the mercy of God may bring peace and truth to broken humanity, and that the justice of God may prevail. let us pray to the Lord. For all who face difficult decisions in life, that they may be strengthened by the courage and humility of Mary. Let us pray to the Lord. For all who have died, especially those known to us, that they may know the joy of eternal life in heaven. Remember in a special way in this Mass, Alina Belmontes, the repose of her soul. Let us pray to the Lord. For those who are suffering from illness of mind and body, from loneliness or hardship, that they may trust in God and be comforted by the healing touch of Jesus. Let us pray to the Lord. Gracious and ever-living God, we ask you to hear our prayers, and grant us that we that we that we need so and grant us all that we need so that like Mary, we may know and do your will. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed be God forever. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Graciously accept the saving sacrifice which we offer you, O Lord, on the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and grant that as we profess her on account of your prevenient grace to be untouched by any stain of sin, so through her intercession we may be delivered from all our faults through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God. For you preserved the most blessed Virgin Mary from all stain of original sin, so that in her endowed with the rich fullness of your grace You might prepare a worthy mother for your son and signify the beginning of the church, his beautiful bride without spot or wrinkle. She, the most pure virgin, was to bring forth a son, the innocent lamb who would wipe away our offenses. You placed her above all others to be your people to be for your people an advocate of grace and a model of holiness. And so in the company of the choirs of angels we praise you and with joy we proclaim Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your Apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your Church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And a suffrage of the sign of peace. Agnus Dei. Qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, Agnus Dei. Qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, Agnus Dei. Qui tollis peccata
9: For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe radio let us pray together the act of spiritual communion my Jesus I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament I love you above all things and I desire to receive you into my soul since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally come at least spiritually into my heart I embrace you as if you were already there
1: Let us pray. May the sacrament we have received, O Lord our God, heal us, heal in us the wounds of that fault from which in a singular way you preserved Blessed Mary in her immaculate conception through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Bow down for the blessing. May God, who through the childbearing of the Blessed Virgin Mary, willed in in his great kindness to redeem the human race, be pleased to enrich you with his blessing. Amen. May you know always and everywhere the protection of her through whom you have been found worthy to receive the author of life. Amen. May you, who have devoutly gathered on this day, carry away with you the gifts of spiritual joys and heavenly rewards. Amen. Amen. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hail holy queen and throne above. Oh
2: All Catholic, all the time. This is the
5: Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.